This show is brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com. You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about the psycho-spiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. You can find our podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes and any platform you listen to the show from. And now, here are your hosts, Joe and Saul. From Hospice Chaplains and Audio Hive Podcasting Studios in Joliet, Illinois, this is the Hospice Chaplains Show. I'm Saul Abema. And I'm Joe Newton. Our guest today is Kevin Crow. He's the founder of Give a Mile. Kevin, welcome to the show. Ah, uh, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Can you give our listeners a little background of where you grew up? Yeah, for sure. So I'm originally from just out Niagara, outside of Niagara Falls, Canada. Um, I was raised. My dad was an auto worker. My mom uh, cut hair out of the house and uh, raised, you know, very working class kid. And um, spent some time in the military. Uh, and then I went to school, went to university in, in Northern Ontario. And from there, I ended up uh, going to university on the West Coast of Canada and University of Victoria studying information technology uh, and got into tech and uh, ended up doing my work term in Calgary, Alberta. And I've lived in Calgary, Alberta since 1997. What was your spiritual background or influence? Yeah, for sure. You know, definitely grew up in a Protestant church. Um, you know, religion was a very important part of our family and our life. Um, when you look at, uh, my dad came from a, a huge family of, of nine kids, and my mom came from a family of three. And those those families um, had to deal with a lot of adversity, a, a lot of uh, tragedy. And, and the church was always there for us. My grandparents, uh, on my mom's side, they were in a tragic uh, truck accident. That truck caught fire. My grandfather ended up uh, dying a couple of days after that accident. My grandmother was burned on about 40% of her body. So she ended up being in, in the burn unit at the hospital for about a year. And so, you know, every week we would drive to the hospital and uh, visit with my grandmother. And through that whole time, we had the church to support us and, and help us um, and uh, and just be there for you, right, as a, as a community. And, and, and so... It was really important, I think, lesson to learn as a as a kid growing up, uh, the importance of giving back, the importance of compassion, the importance of being there for each other. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of the roots of the Give Them All story, you know, for sure. So, yeah, I, that's one of the reasons I love uh, Give Them All, you know, the, the generosity uh, to be there for other people. What was the inspiration behind Give Them All? Yeah, you know, it, you, you flash forward, you know, several years when I was in Calgary, um, crazy how this world works, right? And how mm -hmm. fate unfolds. Um, I had dated this woman in university and uh, she had, first year of university, she had broken up with her boyfriend, uh, was heartbroken, told me a lot about her ex-boyfriend as we were dating. <laughs> and his name was Ryan Westerman. Never met the guy, but the more I heard about it, the more I was like, him and I would be really good friends. I think we'd be really good friends. <laughs> but my buddy was hitchhiking across Canada uh, and got a ride and got dropped off at my house. And he said, I had this incredible ride for the last two hours. This guy picked me up. You would absolutely love this guy. Uh, and it was Ryan. It was Ryan Westerman, right? But wow. I never, never met him. 
Mm. So you fast forward uh, several years from there, and I'm in. Uh, I'm working in Calgary. I, I'm at this IT company. There's only about you know 30, 40 of us at the time. We're growing really fast. We hired our first HR manager, and I go in to introduce myself. It's right before Christmas, and introduced myself and said, oh, what are you doing for Christmas? And she mentioned she was going back to Regina, Saskatchewan. I said, oh, I know some people from there. And she said, like who? And I mentioned this woman that I used to date. And her eyes got really big. And she's like, oh, my husband's Ryan Westerman. So not only, not only is this uh, wow. working for me, but wow. he ends up living just down the road from me, literally, like just minutes down from the road. So, of course, I have to meet him. And we become instant best friends. Um, and we're both at the same stage in our life at that time. Like we, you know, mid thirties had recently married. We both had young sons. Uh, our careers were doing really well. And, and, you know, it was one of those things where you're in the same stage of life. So I remember he would like text me late at night is like, is your kid in bed? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, is your wife asleep? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm coming over. Let's have a fire pit and hang out. And, <laughs> and just that bond you would, you would have together, you know, playing like EA NHL sports and, and that type of thing, video gaming it up into the late wee hours. Um, but unfortunately, you know, I, you know, you fast forward several years after that, and I live by the mountains. And one of the things is, um, you know, I go, drive out to the mountains because your phone doesn't work there, right? You can kind of go out there, and and we'd have, uh, you know, we'd rent a cabin and we'd have some planning sessions around the company and and just be able to unplug. And I was coming back into the city one day and from one of those meetings, and it was a massive blizzard, and so I was just driving really, really slow. And you get to the point uh, where all of a sudden your phone connects again. And there's mm. just like, bang, bang, bang. There's like 30 voice messages for me, which is odd. So, you know, I pull over and I listen to them. And it's all about my friend Ryan's had this massive seizure and he's in uh, emergency uh, at the hospital. And, and the problem, the underlying root cause here is he was dealing with a brain cancer and his tumor had got really aggressive um mm. and so you know it's just a really heartbreaking moment that and really stressful moment right so i was like i want to get to to the hospital to see ryan uh, but i live way in the south of the city and the hospital was kind of in the north and i got home i was talking to my wife and she's like just just wait till the roads are plowed you know you know ryan he'll be there tomorrow you can go see him and so you know it kind of was up all night and then literally the first snowplow, like basically went at, you know, five o'clock in the morning to the hospital and typical disorganized. I didn't even realize where he was in the hospital, but, <laughs> you know, I walked into the emergency room and literally the first curtain I pulled back was Ryan and he was there and he was having this just huge moment. His wife and son had just left. They went back home to sleep. Right. So he was there by himself. I could just feel his vulnerability in that moment. And um, we had this really powerful conversation and one of the most powerful conversations of my life. And, and we basically knew what was going to happen, right? The, the odds of where his brain cancer was at. And he said, you know, Kev, I got my wife and I got my son, I got my brothers, I got these amazing friends, but I need somebody I can confide in. And I just need somebody that I can share openly. Uh, and I don't have to be, you know, courageous and strong and transparent and I want that to be you. I want you to be my wingman through this. Mm. And I got to tell you, man, it scared the heck out of me. You know, uh, what a burden I thought it was going to be, you know, just like, okay, can I rise to that occasion? Can I take this on? And uh, I literally, um, you know, just felt compelled. I said, absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to do that for you. And I remember leaving that room and actually going down the hospital um, 
to to the church and in the in the hospital and just sitting in there and crying like a baby uh, around mm-hmm. what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I went back to him and uh, you know we said, okay, this is what we're going to do, right? We're we're going to be there for each other. I'm going to make sure that I spend time with you every week. Uh, and it led to the most powerful year and a bit of my life, right? To to hang out with somebody who's running out of time. That's at the same stage of life as you. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we see ourselves in these, these people, right? What, what would I be doing? How would I see this? And, and Ryan was this incredibly inspiring guy. He was, you know, he realized, he said, like, look at, if I'm bitter and angry about not having enough time and I might waste my time being bitter and angry, like, that's the, makes no sense. Like, mm-hmm. I've got to seize the time I have in the best way I can. And, you know, he's just really inspirational. He said, like, why wait for a funeral to have everybody come and say nice things about me? I'm going to have a party now. Let's bring Mm -hmm. in people. So he brought in, like, you know, his university roommates and his, you know, his friends from kindergarten and all his family. And we had this incredible party. And even when he ended up in hospice, he's like, I still want to have poker with the boys. So we rolled in the kegs and we played cards and and just super inspiring. And I, I remember this really powerful moment where... Um, he, you know, we realized you get to that point where you just realize there's not going to be a miracle treatment that's going to show up. Right. And, mm. and, and I said to him, like, what do you want to do? Like, well, you know, he was a big golfer. So like, we'll take it to any golf course or we'll go, we'll take the kids to Disney world or we can do everything and anything you want. And he said to me, he said, Kev, I don't care about any of that. Mm. The only thing I care about is time with the people I love, right. Time with my son, time with my wife, time with you. And so watching him, you know, watch Jungle Book with his son and watching them play Connect Four and all those little moments that we kind of take for granted also became super powerful and was just like this epiphany for me, right? This incredible, incredible epiphany of what life is really about, the the, the sacred little moments that we take for granted. Um, And, you know, so he just, he he taught me so much. And I remember, you know, there's at the hospice he was in Calgary, there's this beautiful deck and you go on the deck and the sun's there and, you know, some beautiful trees and just a, a really nice view. And and we're sitting there, him and I, and he says to me, he goes, Cav, he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to die with my wife, my son and you, and uh, you're, you're all going to be present. And I was like, Hey man, I'll, I will move mountains for you. I will do everything I can for you, but we have no guarantees. We don't know, right? We can't dictate these things. And now I look back, I realize he said that not, he wasn't asking me. He was kind of t- telling me what was going to happen. Mm. He knew, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you flash forward, you know, we're in the hospice with them and the nurses realize, you know, they're, they're giving us advice. Like, you know, Ryan's in the last probably hours of his life. And, and his son at the time was four and a half years old. His son's name's Talon. And we had gotten advice from hospice, you know, what do we do with his son? And they're like, just wherever he wants to show up, let him show up and just don't talk in code, just be very direct with him. And so, you know, Talon would come to the hospice and, and hang out, but you know, Ryan was in his last few hours of his life. Talon wasn't there. And, you know, I remember we got the phone call sure enough at the hospice and Tasha, Ryan's wife said, it's Talon. He's on the phone. He wants to come see his dad. Mm. And we kind of looked at each other and, and said, yeah, okay, let's bring him up, right? And I remember um, I was leaning over Ryan's bed and just talking to him, letting him know we're, we're going to be okay. You know, he could let go and, and we're going to be there for his family. And, and this little hand grabbed my hand. And I looked down and his son's got these huge blue eyes and it was Talon. And he just looked up to, at me and he said, 
Kevin, what's wrong with my dad? And I said, you know, your dad's, he, he's dying. And, mm. and do you want to give him one last hug? And I, I picked him up mm. and I put him in bed. And by this time, Tasha, Ryan's husband, uh, wife had crawled in and they were all cuddled together. He gave his dad this massive hug and he fell asleep in his dad's arms. And Ryan passed away a couple hours later. And it was just incredible, heartbreaking, but heartwarming moment that I could honor my friend and I could do that for him. And also what he had told me <laughs> came true, right? That this, these powerful moments and, and they're so beyond this just physical world, as, as you know, and, and to be in there. And I, I knew from that moment, I wanted to do something very special for Ryan and in Ryan's memory. And I knew that, it, you know, obviously there's lots of great charities out there and they do amazing work, but I wanted it to be something unique. And we heard, you know, I heard about all these travel miles that go unused or, you know, people are kind of sitting on them. They're waiting to use them. And in Calgary, the city I live in, about one in four people are, are from here. About three and four are not from here. So when we were in the hospice, we had seen so many families that were saying goodbye on the phone or talking about how they couldn't afford a flight. And we said, well, why don't we use those travel miles? And we have people donate small amounts of travel miles and we get those mothers, fathers, sisters, sons, daughters, family members to the hospice, to the palliative care, to the ICU units to have a moment with their loved one. Most of the cases is going to be a final goodbye, but just be there to support and love somebody. And so we started giving them up. We found, we found it in, in Canada about seven years ago. We've given 747 flights away as of this morning. We expanded it in the U.S. in November. And we're looking to make a lot more flights happen. And this is why we love to be on the podcast, Saul and, and, and Joe. Super happy to be here. So your life's changed dramatically. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And know? it's a very powerful, uh, incredible story. It brings a lot of emotion. I know our listeners, uh, just like me, are curious, how, how is the sun? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, his son is doing great. He's, he's a great kid. He's, you know... I uh, just, um, you know, really intelligent, cares a lot about the world, cares about giving back, heavily involved in Give a Mile. We do a, a golf tournament in Ryan's honor every year to raise funds for Give a Mile. He's there every year. He helps us raise funds. He always does a speech uh, about his dad and, and just uh, what Give a Mile means. And, and it always brings room to tears. He's just an incredible kid. And, um, you know, just to watch him grow up um, and be there for him has just been a, an amazing gift for me. With that, we'll take a little break. Uh, our guest is Kevin Crow, the founder of Give a Mile. We'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. This is Sol and you're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Kevin Crow. Could you tell us how it works, how Give a Mile works? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like we said, these flights were for family members to fly to be with loved ones that are in a hospice dealing with palliative illness or in ICU. And so we connect to people that need flights by working with hospices, 
spiritual care providers, social workers, right? So we love that we're on this podcast because we want to get that message out to the audience, right? If you have a family that you're working with right now and they need a family member that can't afford a flight, please reach out to us um, at giveamile.org. Just email us and, and we'll show you how the flight application process works. It's basically a one-page application. We have a waiver form that people are flying that need um, that are flying need to sign. Um, but what we do is, you know, you put that application in. We need an email for a medical verification. You don't have to disclose anything that's confidential. So, you know, if a chaplain or a, a social worker or a nurse just emails us and says, you know, this person's under our care, that's all we need. So once we have the application, the email, we take it to our flight review team. Once the flight review team approves it, we then connect that family to our travel agent who will book the flight for them. And once we have that flight booked, we email that to the, the family and it's their flight to use. Now, there's a couple of things inside of that, right? So one of the things we know is that a lot of times these flights are very, you know, emergency, time sensitive. So once we have the application and the email confirmation from that point, we can turn an emergency flight around in about four hours. I can't get wow. you on a flight in four hours, but I can get it approved, right? So a lot of times those flights are going to probably be next day flights. Um, so if, you know, you apply on a Tuesday morning and we get through the process, we'll probably get you connected to the travel agent and, and maybe uh, hopefully everything works out. So we get you on a flight the next day. The other thing is a lot of families are flying. They don't know when they're going to come back, right? Cause they just, I, I got to get there. And so you can put to be determined on the other side of that. So, Hey, we'll get you there. And then when you're willing, or, you know, kind of your date, just reach back to us. And the one thing I just say is, we fly on donated points and miles, right? United and, and Canada Aeroplan are our big partners. So if you want to fly back on a Thursday, it might be a Friday because we can't find a seat for you inside of that. Now, and the other thing is in the 747 flights, about 150 have been international in nature. So flying someone into North America or flying someone to North America. Same rules apply. Got a you know application form and email confirmation. Um, but we know, and obviously COVID's impacted that a lot, but we know there's demand there for sure, right? A lot of people are just really separated from their families and don't get a chance to see those families that are international. So those are on the table as well. As well, if you have multiple family members, we look at each family member situation as a family in its entirety. So we don't have any hard and fast rule, like we're only going to fly one family member. Um, if you have like two grandparents that need to fly, uh, if you have a brother and sister, we'll look at that in its entirety. Uh, we It's based on resources we have available, et cetera. We're going to do our best to help a family, but we're only going to give you one flight approved, right? So if you apply... We get you to your family, you have a visit, you can't apply and, you know, three weeks later. So, you know, use that flight uh, accordingly. So we try to keep it really straightforward and, and really simple uh, for, for people. The taxes are included. It's a two-way flight. So there's no cost around that at all. Um, the one thing we do on the application form is we ask you to put your flight story in that form as well, because we share that with our donors. We try to be as transparent as possible. We want our donors connected to who they're flying and, and what the impact is on those families and uh, and we'll post that on our website if you want names removed we'll remove names etc to keep confidentiality but like we said we really want our donors to understand the families that they're helping once you've had your flight we have a flight follow-up team that will reach out and just connect with you hey how did the flight go we, we want to share with our donors you know any insights you had from that flight anything you want to share uh, around the impact and i can tell you those 747 
flights, incredibly, incredibly impactful stories of, of the people we flew. And one other thing I should mention is if the person that is palliative is strong enough to fly commercial, right? So they can get on a United flight. We will fly them as long as we have, you know, the doctor's permission. We will fly that palliative person. So a lot of times that's been a one-way flight, right? Somebody's living in a city, they might've been raised or born in another city. And they're like, hey, I want to go back there. I have family there. That's where I want to you know, pass away, be with my family. Absolutely, we can do that. Or sometimes that's, hey, I want to get on a flight, see my family back there while I'm strong enough, and then I'm going to fly back to my home city. That That's definitely uh, eligible as well. So this isn't along the line of make a wish. This is uh, kind of like make a wish where you want to have someone meet and yeah. go home and all that. Yeah, where, where make a wish is like your dream vacation or or maybe a bit of kind of a bucket list place you want to go. Give a mile is about that connection of family and and loved ones, right? So we want to get you there. Just like, you know, I was there for Ryan at the side of his bed. We want to get those mothers, fathers, sisters, sons, daughters to be with that person who is palliative, who's in hospice or an ICU. Uh, you know, the one thing we don't do, um, or some things that fall outside our criteria is flights for funerals, uh, flights uh, for treatments, right? Hey, I'm, I need to go here for experimental treatment. We don't do that. It's really around the family member uh, and that support and being there. And like I said, 90% of the time, it's a final visit. And whatever closure and healing needs to happen, uh, we want to make that happen for sure. Now, does there an economic factor in all of this? Yeah, we on our application form, there is an economic field uh, fill out, you know, what your earnings are. Um, and obviously, you know, through COVID, we, you know, we give you a little section to explain, maybe you've been impacted, etc. Um, we base that on kind of the resources we have available and what's coming in from a request point of view. Um, so we take all that into consideration. So Kevin, uh, it's obvious that you being there by the bedside of Ryan Westerman as he died uh, with his family uh, changed your life forever. And it is that experience that you want to give our listeners to be there for their loved ones. Could you tell us uh, how that experience, um, what is the biggest change that experience made for you? Yeah, I mean, there's so many soul. There's so much wisdom there. I, I think the biggest thing, and I'm sure you've experienced through your work, it's like you can go through life kind of almost in a trance, right? Almost... Um, hypnotize, you know, you're doing your job and you're, you're you know, I, my career was going well, the company was building um, and you're kind of caught up in that. And then all of a sudden you have these moments that really waking you up to what is pure and true in life and what is the most important thing. You know, I know that the, the Stoics talk about, you know, uh, momentum mori, like reflecting on death, right? And no matter, like the emperors of Rome have died and gone and people have forgotten their names. And so, you know, what is really important for you and, and, you know, that purity of Ryan around, hey, I don't I don't want to go to the golf courses. I don't want to go to Disney World. I just want time with my son and my wife. And, and realizing that all these little moments are the most important things and we take them for granted. But inside these little moments is the importance of us being kind and compassionate and creating impactful lives that I, I think just put, you know, really good kind of almost ripple effect into our communities, right? Like if we can be there for each other, and I know, I don't know if you've ever read the book Tattoos on the Heart uh, by Father Gregory. It's a beautiful book around compassion. He's a Jesuit priest that uh, works with gang members in South Central LA. But the, the book is really around compassion. And, and he says, when we can sit with each other, not in judgment, 
but truly see each other and be there for each other. There's something really powerful in that. And that's what Ryan woke me up to and, and, and showed me is that this human connection, this living in impact, this being present in those moments is really the most valuable thing we have in life. To show you, you know, just the, the, the passion we have around this and, and why that passion is. You know, there, there's, set, like I said, 747 incredible, incredible flight stories. But, you know, some of them obviously stick with you. And, you know, one of them for me was there was this, this woman in Calgary. We got a call from the social worker. It was like a Thursday. And she said, Kev, um, I got an impossible ask for you. Uh, I have a, I think one was in her late 30s, diagnosed with terminal cancer. They're going to stop treatment. She's originally from the Philippines. She has two small kids. She has no really family support network here in Calgary. So if she passes away, she's got to get her kids back to the Philippines. You know, she's got, I think, 11 brothers and sisters back there. Can you get us three one-way flights to the Philippines? And she's, she needs to leave by Monday because, you know, her, her health is deteriorating. And I said, I don't, I, I, that's a lot of miles. I don't know if we can do it, um, but I'll do my best. And, and literally reached out to the first donor I called who said, we're going to make those fight, flights happen. Absolutely, Kev. So I, I got to go see this woman. I had to deliver that ticket personally because she didn't have a computer. And we had this incredible conversation. Um, her kids, I think, were probably around seven, five, that kind of age. And you could just, just see the determination in her of, hey, I got to get these kids back to the Philippines. I'm going to do that. It's a 21 hour flight. I'm sleeping like 20 hours a day, but the, the thing I will do is get my kids back to the Philippines to be raised by my family. Just the determination in her. And, and she did it. She, she got them back there. We, we got her a flight. She got them back there. And I, I don't normally do this, but the social worker said, Kev, do you want to, do you want to go to the, the funeral? And it was just such a, you know, we had such a, uh, uh, an inspiring type of thing. It was just, it was, it was just so impactful. And I heard from her family in the Philippines uh, around just how much those flights meant to her, right? And and so it just inspires you to do more of this. And I think Joe, you talked about um, sometimes families struggling to, to whether people are going to be there or not, you know. And I I remember we had a, a a son reach out to us, and he said, you know, my mom was an alcoholic. She is dying. We had a very troubled youth, but I want to go and talk to her and see if we can get closure. You know, no, none of my other siblings are going to go, but I'm going to go. And so we provided him a flight and he went there and, you know, he just said what it meant to him to have those final conversations, to look for, for forgiveness, to mend and heal. Um, and just an, an incredibly impactful, impactful story. And I got, I got to share one more with you. This this one um, really just blew us away. There was a, a woman, she was put up for adoption when she, she was three. And now she was in a, her mid-30s. She was looking for her birth mom. And um, she found out her birth mom was in hospice dying. And she said, I need help with a flight. We were able to make that flight happen. And she went, saw her mom, had this incredible visit. And we talked to the, the hospice social workers and, the, and they just said, you know, her mom was having this very agitated death, you know, very like stress. And they had this incredible visit and this peace. They could just feel this peace in the room. And then a few days later, her mom passed away. So just 
the power of, of those moments and being able to give those away. And like I said, you know, we've just expanded in the U.S. And so we want to get connected to more hospices in the U.S. and more social workers, uh, spiritual care providers that can connect us with families. We have flights to give right now. We've had great donors on the U.S. side. Uh, and so our challenge is, is really getting these flights to families. With that, I will take a little break. Our guest is Kevin Crow, the founder of Give a Mile. We've been waiting, waiting for COVID-19 vaccines to be developed. Now, waiting for them to get to us. But you can do more than wait. You have powerful ways to help slow the spread right now and protect your family and loved ones too. Here's how. Watch your distance. Stay at least six feet away from folks you don't live with. It's risky to be indoors with them too. And of course, avoid crowds. Also, wear a mask. CDC reports masks protect the people who wear them and folks around them. And wash your hands using soap and water for 20 seconds and do it frequently. Vaccines won't make COVID go away overnight, but they give us a real chance to finally overcome it. As long as we keep watching our distance, wearing our masks and washing our hands. Learn more about vaccines at cdc.gov coronavirus. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is Sole Berman. You're listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. We continue our conversation with Kevin Crow. Uh, talk to us about uh, donations. How do people donate? Is it cash or miles on the flight? Could you explain more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to givemile.org, there's a donate now button on there and you can go in and you can donate to specific flight stories. So you can pick a flight story and say, I want to help this family. And maybe it's a son flying to see a father. Um, and we take miles. So, you know, travel loyalty miles. We'll talk a little bit about that. And we also take cash. Uh, we take cash. Um, we are a 501c in the U.S. We're a registered charity in Canada. Um, we do about 10 to 12% of our flights in cash because, you, you know, there's just not a ticket you can get on points or, you know, uh, in Canada, there's a lot of northern communities where flying people down from these very small communities and there's just not big airlines there. So you have to buy those uh, plane tickets in cash. But from a Miles point of view, uh, we're partnered with Aeroplan, which is Air Canada in, in Canada. Uh, in the U.S., we're, we're partnered with United. We just did a, a tremendous raise with United. We raised 500,000 miles in seven hours. Now, here's the deal. And this is why it's so important that we're on this podcast talking to this community. And, and we totally support United's thought process here. They're like, you guys raised 500,000 miles. We're not going to open up those donations again until you get some of those miles to families. Show us there's a need here. Show us that you're connecting to families and getting the flights out the door. So I'm in one of those beautiful spots as a charity. We love for you to donate. We love your support. But our main purpose for connecting with you, Saul and Joe, and having this conversation is we want to get these flights to families. That's that's our number one goal today. Kevin, you were talking before about how you're having all that experience with one-on-one -on -one and how you want families to to be able to gather together. Uh, you know, it's not, it, the story I have is one that, that happened where there was just around the community and just the significance and importance of people being with their loved one. Because I had a, a severely demented woman who was on her last days or minutes. Two of her three children were sitting around the bed and asking me why it is that their mother won't die. You know, nobody has the answer to that except what you try and figure out. And they said, what if I, what if we bring our, our brother Bobby here? And I'm like, Bobby? 
who is Bobby? Because I'd never heard that there was another child. Oh, this is a son who has some severe disabilities, and they were unsure of how he was going to respond to see his mom in that condition. And I looked at them, and I thought, you know, you're the one who's going to have to make this decision, but my suggestion is yes. And they brought Bobby by, and two and a half hours later, mom died. It was the closure that she needed. We, as hospice people, don't know what our families need, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as a loved one who is there in the last stages of death, to what it is that can bring them the peace and the comfort that's needed for them to relax and die. Uh, Your opportunity here and the stories that you've shared, I get goosebumps because Mm -hmm. it is such a significant, significant opportunity for folks to be able to do that. And I know people are afraid. Just like we said before we started here, you said, you know, doing this, people have some questions about this. Am I really, are we doing something here legitimate? Mm -hmm. And can you kind of quell those fears for folks? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic um, when you show up and give something away for free, right? It's like, (laughs) it's like the, 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 your friend that wants to give you their couch for free, right? What, why, why are you giving it away? Like, I don't understand this. Um, but it is because of Ryan's story, right? And the committed people. If you look at the people that are in the Give a Mile community that, you know, are volunteers and, you know, our, our corporate sponsors, those people have had the same experience, right? They, they have been there. They've seen their loved ones pass away. They've, they've been there to support them. And so this is really about the community for the community by the community, right? And so, you know, 747 flights out the door. Um, you know, we have a, an amazing team around us. We're going to respond to you extremely quickly. We're going to make it very easy. We understand that there's a massive trust transfer for a, you know, a chaplain, spiritual care provider, social worker to go to that family and say, hey, I know of this organization called Give a Mile. They might be able to provide you a flight. We take that extremely seriously that you have done that and bridge that conversation. We are going to be very responsive to you. We are going to turn it around and we're going to do our best to get that family the flights as long as they meet our criteria. But we have to do that together. Now, I know the one thing, you know, talking with social workers and spiritual care providers for flights we've provided, you know, there is so many benefits. And one of the benefits we've talked about is, you know, sometimes people that are passing away, some depression, obviously, deep sadness, but suddenly you've given them something to look forward to, right? Suddenly you've given them a goal, a a purpose. And I know one of our very first flights was for a man, Pedro. He had came to Canada from Nicaragua. He was working in Canada, you know, save enough money to bring his daughter and wife. Unfortunately, he got stage four stomach cancer. So he couldn't work anymore. He couldn't afford to bring his wife and daughter. He's like, Kev, just bring them here for me, please. I want to show them why I left them, I want to show them the country I was bringing them to. And we made that flight happen. And I had this incredible conversation with Pedro. He said, Kev, before I had those flights, I wasn't eating. I wasn't really caring about any of my medicine. There wasn't really anything left. But the fact that that daughter, I was going to show her Canada and, and explain to her why I was so far away from her, gave me all the purpose in the world. Uh, to, you know, stay here and and have that visit. So there is so much impact in here and we can do, we're going to do this together, right? This is, this is incredible gifts we're going to give together. Like I said, it's a passion project and we want to get flights out the door for sure. So what you're telling me, Kevin, is if somebody who's living in, 
Las Cruces, New Mexico, and has a family member who is dying in Seattle, Washington, you can get them a flight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, because I'm not sure if people around the United yeah. States would think, oh, here's a Canadian who's going to get me a flight. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, we got all of this and everything that's going on. I mean, that yeah. you can do. Absolutely. And we want to do that. And we're, we could, like, if somebody reached out right after this podcast, we're here for you. We're, we're going. We have donated miles, like I said. We, we want to get these flights out the door. Um, we're rare and, and ready to go. And, you know, one of, the, one of the interesting things, Joe, on this part of the conversation is we always say when we do one flight with a social worker, we'll do 20 flights, right? Because it's just getting the first flight, them understanding the process, understanding how it works. You know, like we said, we try to make it as easy as possible. And as soon as they're connected, you know, we end up doing a bunch of flights together for sure. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would love to, if you're a hospice administrator or chaplain or social worker, please have this organization as a resource. Give a mile. And uh, you just go to givemile.org and you find a lot of resources to help families connect, especially in those final moments of life. Mm-hmm. We know that the economy is difficult and here's an opportunity mm-hmm. to help family members fly and be next to their loved ones. So please utilize this resource. Every hospice in the country needs to have Give a Mile in their mm-hmm. pockets as one of the resources available. Hundred percent, and and so you bring up an interesting point of the applicate applications we received uh, since you know the call it the last year during COVID. Seventy percent of those applicants have been affected by COVID. I'm not working. I'm laid off. I can't afford this flight. We know so many families impacted by COVID. We are here to help for sure. What are your final thoughts? Well, I, my final thoughts is you know just so thankful to connect with your community and thank you for having us on here. Um, I would love, you know, set a goal a year from now, we're doing another podcast episode. We're telling about all the flight stories we've done together uh, and how, you know, we've expanded across all the hospices and just the amazing impact we've created as a community that I would love to come back and do that. I would love that too. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. That was Kevin Crow, the founder of Give a Mile. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studio in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com. 